I, uh, I've got some pictures. I'm going to show you some pictures here in a moment. Um, uh, I was at the Lusak Library this week, and I saw that they were destroying the uh, the entrance. So um, I won't miss it. I don't know how you feel about it, but I won't miss that. But I stood there looking at the um, looking at the construction equipment, or I guess actually technically destruction equipment, and it reminded me of when my son was very small. We used to spend a lot of time looking at construction equipment. We had um, there was some kind of a, a flooding event or something that had happened right before we moved to our neighborhood in Colorado, and the developer of that subdivision had agreed to go in and put in all this remedial stuff. So he was building berms and and retention ponds and all this stuff. There's all this earth moving that took place for about a year after we moved to our neighborhood in Colorado. And my son wanted to watch all of it. So we would go out in, in his stroller and we would watch the earth movers and the bulldozers and everything else for an incredible amount of time. We spent forever looking at earth movers. And then we'd go back home and I think I've got a picture here. Um, my, my son really likes earth movers and, and so we would, um, we would be, uh, uh, um, at home and we watch the videos, road construction ahead. I, at one point I could have quoted every line in that whole movie. Um, uh, so, so we watched all these things and, uh, then he would play in his sandbox and then we'd go to the, uh, so there he is in his sandbox and I would, I would watch him in his sandbox for hour after hour. Um, I would see him, um, uh, uh, in his, in his sandbox. There's another one in his sandbox. So he loved playing with his construction equipment in the sandbox. We'd go to the park. And he had a piece of equipment in the park he really loved because it's the uh, the the scooper thing from the end of a of a, a digger, whatever they call it, the excavator. And he could operate it himself. And that's his sister there, you know, saying, "When do I get a turn?" So um, uh, and the answer is never because he loved his construction equipment. That's his second birthday party. You can see the cake is the Earth Mover theme, and so uh, he really liked his 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 Earth moving equipment. And um, I have to admit, it took me a while to learn to like it because I had come from an industry where we measure things in nanoseconds and it only takes me a couple of minutes to kind of appreciate an earth mover. You know, three, four, five minutes is plenty. An hour was really more than I was prepared to to spend watching an excavator slowly move a pile of dirt, you know, into a dump, uh, a dump truck or something. And so, so I got to watch a lot of it. But over time, I, I got to the point where I could kind of enjoy it. And I remember at one point we were in the park and I remember it was a, it was a glorious spring day in Colorado and the sun was shining and it was taking forever. We were, we were uh, playing with the, the digger or whatever it was. And I remember thinking, this is actually better than most meetings I've been in. And, <laughs> and, and, and that was kind of a transformative event for me because I had learned to slow down and kind of operate at my son's, my son's pace. And it was, it was a good experience and I, I, I enjoyed that time and I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Um, and I bring up all this because I know, I know this is not unique. I mean, uh, the, the details may be different. Maybe for you it was your daughter or a niece or something who would have a tea party. Uh, they didn't seem to have much of a point, but, it just went on and on and on. But but you enjoyed it because they enjoyed it. It was a special time and you got to spend forever doing a tea party or or watching construction equipment or whatever it was. There there are these moments we spend where we kind of slow down to the other person's speed and we, we kind of scale ourselves down, we kind of stoop down and we get in their sandbox and we just enjoy time with them. 
And I, I, I don't know exactly how that works, you know, different people, different relations, but you, you can probably imagine somebody like that in your own life. Maybe if you're really fortunate, you can remember the person who was that person to you, the person, the grandparent or the, the uncle who would actually spend time and really scale themselves down so they could be part of your life in an area that was important to you. And all of this relates to the story that we're going to hear about today, the story of the transfiguration. Today is Transfiguration Sunday. It's one of the two occasions um, in the life of the church where we remember that there were two occasions when Jesus was spoken to by a voice from heaven, a voice that declared him to be God's son. And so one of them is at the baptism of the Lord, um, and the other one is now at the Transfiguration. And the Transfiguration is 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 this event where we remember that God scales down to us. God is humiliated in that he comes down and uh, humbles himself to be part of our reality. So um, the uh, the British writer C.S. Lewis in his um, in his book, The Screwtape Letters, he imagines a, a correspondence between two demons who are who are grousing about the way that God God has his cake and eats it too. Because this is the same God that that is in the 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 big things of the world, the God who makes the universe exist, who who said let there be light and there was light, who makes galaxies and stars and quasars and all those things that we can't even imagine. That there is this transcendent God who is beyond anything we can imagine. But God is also imminent. God is right here. God is right next to us. God scales down and operates at our level. So uh, he imagines the devil complaining that God somehow has cheated, has has had his cake and eats it too, that that's somehow not fair because God does both. So the transfiguration is an opportunity for us to reflect on that kind of God, the God who is both uh, transcendent, far beyond anything we can imagine, but also right here, right in a relationship with us. So that's what we're going to look at today. So if you've got your scriptures handy, I want to begin in, in chapter 20, uh, chapter 9, verse 28 of Luke's account of the transfiguration. Uh, there are two other accounts. Matthew and Mark also describe it. And then as we'll see, Peter, Peter mentions it in his letter. So it's actually in four times in the New Testament. When I was, when I was, um, small, not quite, uh, earth mover equipment small, but when I was in, um, elementary school at some point, I was in a, um, it was called Confraternity of Christian Doctrine, but it was Sunday school except it took place on Wednesdays. And, and I was in this class and we were hearing something about Jesus and I held up my hand and I said, this is so boring. How come we don't ever hear about the interesting things that happen? You know, that, you know, I had heard that there are, there are these events that take place in the Bible that are interesting, you know, floods and earthquakes and the, the, the really, you know, razzle dazzle special effects that we see in some parts of the Bible. But here we are, you know, Jesus is changing water into wine or something like that. And it was like, you know, come on, can we, can I have something a little more exciting? And uh, I didn't know it, but the, the head of the Sunday school, uh, the CCD thing was, uh, was actually in the back of the classroom. And so my parents heard about this very quickly and was a, <laughs> the naughty boy. But, 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 you know, m- maybe you've asked that same question. Why is it that there are these parts of the Bible that are so exciting, you know, with earthquakes and, and rocks splitting and, and, you know, fire falling from heaven. But then there's the New Testament 
where everything is kind of slowed down and scaled down. And that's what we're going to look at as we we um, read the story of the transfiguration. So it says, now about eight days after these sayings, these sayings, Jesus has just told his disciples that he's going to Jerusalem where he will die. And um, eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and James and John, John and James, and went up the mountain to pray. And his disciples seemed to be struggling, as we'll see, with sleep. But while he, Jesus, was praying, the appearance of his face changed. Um, in Matthew and Mark's accounts of this event, uh, they say that he was uh, transfigured, or uh, that's the Latin translation it, be, it kind of acquired over time. The actual language in the Bible is he metamorphosed. And so I think maybe Luke is kind of uh, pulling that back a little bit. He doesn't want to say, you know, don't, don't think caterpillars and, and, and butterflies. He said the appearance of his face changed. So he changed, but not so much. But he did change. And he says his, his clothing became dazzling white. He says, he says that the, the, the imagery here is one of, of a change that was very dramatic. This word, um, the word for dazzling white means to flash like lightning. So, so imagine how, how much that must have been. But at the same time, he's still clearly Jesus. Is, is the language here is very much like we see in the accounts of the, of the resurrection appearances of Jesus. He's different. Sometimes you can't recognize him, but sometimes you can. He's, he's different, but he's also the same. And it says, um, uh, in fact, um, I'm trying to remember if this is where it's at. Bear with me. Yes, indeed. So uh, Peter mentions this in his letter. I knew I was going to mention Peter. So Peter says this, We saw the, his mag- majestic splendor with our own eyes when he received glory and honor from God the Father. So Peter describes it. He says, we saw it. And, and we knew who he was, but um, but he was different. He was he was majestic, and we saw his splendor. Um, so so uh, that's what has happened here. And then while while this is going on, suddenly they see two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him, and they appeared in glory, um, and they were speaking of his departure. Uh, his departure. The, the word here is literally Exodus. And if you go to Greece today, and you go out of a building, the sign above the door or the sign on the door will say. Exodus, because that's just the Greek word for exit. So um, the, the the translators here have said, well, his departure, his exit, um, and that's perfectly reasonable. But I have noticed some of the newer translations are leaving the word Exodus because then it brings in all the things that are related to the Exodus, the story of the God who delivered his people from bondage. So Jesus and Moses and Elijah are talking about his Exodus, his exit. He's about to go to Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem he will... Exit, but it's more than an exodus, an exodus that brings freedom from slavery. So he says, they're talking to him about his exodus. Now Peter and his companions were way down asleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And just as they're leaving, Peter can kind of see that they're getting ready to go, and he jumps up. And this is why I love Peter, because Peter is never short of ideas. Uh, Peter, you know, th- this is a glimpse of why Peter became such a great leader in the church later, because Peter is not paralyzed with indecision. You know, I, I would I would have stared at that and I would have thought through all the ramifications and ended up doing nothing probably. But Peter kind of throws out an idea and no matter how many ideas Jesus swats down, Peter's always willing to try another one. And I, I really admire that in Peter. So Peter says, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. So he doesn't have it all figured out, but that's his best guess of what they should do. And Jesus doesn't even have to tell him, bad idea, Peter, because instead a cloud overshadows them. 
Um, and it must have been a terrifying experience. They were terrified as they entered the cloud. And from the cloud came this voice from heaven. This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. So the, um, the, the language here is, um, the, the language of God speaking of his chosen servant. And I think it's from, um, from Isaiah. There's a, a, Isaiah chapter 42. He says, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. So God describes Jesus in terms of being his chosen servant. And then the voice had spoken and Jesus was found alone. That's it. That's the end of it. They go down to the, to the valley and there's this crisis brewing downstairs. But that's the end of this event. But did you notice what didn't happen? You know, sometimes it's hard to notice things that don't happen. But, but if you look at the two people, Luke is kind of reminding us something that, that we should, we should be aware of. Moses and Elijah both had their own encounters with God on a holy mountain. But when they had their encounters with God, they never saw God. In, in Elijah's case, he actually wrapped his head in his mantle. He wanted to be sure he didn't see God. So when he heard the small voice, he went out on the mountain, but first he wrapped up his head to make sure he wouldn't catch a glimpse of God. Because as God told Moses years before, he said, no one can look at me and live. Moses had asked the same thing. Moses said, show me your glory. And God said, I will make my, my glory pass before you, but you can't see it because no one can look at me and live. But in Jesus' case, when Jesus is in his glory, they not only look at his face, but they notice it's different. Hey, he looks different now, doesn't he? People, his disciples, are able to look at God in his glory and not die. The transfiguration is not a story about how different Jesus was before and after enduring. It's a story about how different God has become in his incarnation. Whatever difference there is between Jesus during the transfiguration or after his resurrection and what he was like in his earthly ministry is nothing compared to the difference between the God of the Old Testament, the God who shakes mountains and sends fire from heavens, the God who has a cloud overshadow the mountain, and the God we see in the transfiguration, the God we can look at and say, his face has changed. Because the transfiguration reminds us of a God who has stooped down, who has slowed down, who has accommodated himself to our limitations, a God who has actually come down and sat down next to our sandbox and watched us as we go about our lives. That's what the transfiguration is about. It's a God who is with us right in our everyday lives, a God who is not simply the transcendent, earth-shaking God, but the imminent, close, relational God. There's an interesting event later on in the story as we read. Jesus, Jesus doesn't, doesn't answer Peter because Jesus is, is, is already beginning to turn toward Jerusalem. He knows his destiny awaits him in Jerusalem. So he doesn't spend any time up on that mountain. And as soon as they get down to the valley, they hear about, they hear about this event 
where the disciples, the nine disciples who had stayed behind, are no longer able to heal people. Earlier in this chapter, they were healing people. But when Jesus and the other three went up on the mountain, they had somehow lost their ability to heal. And Jesus is impatient. Jesus is impatient with them because the God of eternity has stepped out of eternity into time. And he's actually capable of being bound by time. There's things he needs to get done between now and his exodus in Jerusalem. So he's capable of being impatient. But honestly, the the amazing thing about Jesus is despite this three-year window in which he's got to make everything happen, he's actually astonishingly patient even then. But the point is not whether Jesus is impatient or not. The, The point is that Jesus has left eternity and come down and become one of us, one who is bound by time, one who has to get things done in a certain amount of time. So, what do we do with this? What, what, what can we learn from this? Well, I think the most important thing we can learn is that, is that God has come down to us. Picture yourself in whatever your sandbox is, doing something that you just know would bore God. You know, why would God care about the quarterly report? The transfiguration reminds us God cares intensely about the quarterly report, not because it's as interesting as a quasar, but because it's interesting to you. God cares about what's going on in your life, and God has scaled down, God has stooped down to come down so he could relate to us in our own little sandboxes, whatever they may be. God cares about each one of us, wants to be part of our lives. So maybe the best thing we can do is begin seeing God that way. That that when I'm working on my report or when I'm working on next week's sermon, when you're doing your homework, when you're getting ready for the presentation at work, to remember that God is right there. He's slowed down. He's scaled down so he could be a part of your life. And just remember, God is with us. God is right there, listening, smiling, enjoying your little thing, whatever it may be. So that would be my first application. And I would add beyond it, maybe we can learn, maybe we can aspire at least to learn to be like him, to to be in relationship with the people around us in the same way, to say, you know what, school's going to keep. I can spare a few minutes. Let me see if I can scale back. And I, I was running in three directions a minute ago, but let me just stop here and let me just enjoy this moment with you. Maybe we can learn from God. Maybe that's the work of a lifetime. But however that works, to remember that whatever we're doing, however dull it may seem to us, however dull we might imagine it is to God, remember that God has slowed down, God has scaled down. In Christ, God has become one of us. God has accommodated himself to our limitations. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Loving God, we give thanks that you do not require us to come up to you, that you don't expect us to climb a mountain, to to learn a holy language, to uh, get our lives free from sin. But you meet us where we are. You scale down, not because we deserve it, but because you love us. Not because what we're doing is interesting to you, except that we are interesting to you. And therefore, what we do do interests you. 
We give you thanks for all these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.